thing. And uh, this is a season of great devotion. This is a season of Passover and Easter. And, and, and a lot of people are involved in different, different religious things. So whatever it is you celebrate, whatever it is that you do, um, we hope that you will do it and, and, and have fun and, and enjoy uh, for the season. It, and that's what it's for, is to rebirth of faith and, and uh, to have some fun. And hopefully um, you can, uh, can enjoy it to the utmost. And that's what it's for. It is March the 27th, 2021. Gosh, I can hardly believe it. Unbelievable. And I'm glad that we're all together this morning. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so happy. We have been discussing step 10 the last time we were together. And we did step 10 and we pulled apart some of the, or the two major misconceptions about step 10. And one of the major misconceptions of step 10 is that you start step 10 when you're done with nine, which is not the case. It clearly says in the step, it says here, that we commence, we vigorously commence this way of living. I'm on page 84. I'm on page 84, fourth edition of the big book. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past, not after we cleaned up the past. And what steps do we use to clean up the past? The steps are four through nine. So as we are doing these steps, we are utilizing step 10. The steps are worked in order, but they're worked together. So it says we, we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. And the other thing that we try to clear up as best we can is that step 10 is not a step that we utilize only in the morning and at night. That's when a lot of people go wrong with step 10. They want to utilize it like step 11, which is in the morning and at night. Step 10 is throughout the day. And the instructions for step 10 are very, very clear that we do this as needed. And this is a very vital step. And where you see people relapsing, or here's what I hear on my phone all the time. I worked through the steps. I relapsed, I went away, I worked through the steps, I relapsed, I went away, and they, they've done this four, five, three, six, eight million times, whatever it is. And what happens is they don't live in 10, 11, and 12. To live in 10, 11, and 12 specifically means, very specifically, you are doing 10 steps as things come up, and you are doing them every day, and you are doing them as fear, as resentments, as things come up. And we talked about the last time we were together that we are very given to handling things. And for those of you who can't see me on Zoom, I'm using air quotes. We wanna handle things on our own and we can't. And that there are many, many self-help books. There are many self-help gurus. There are podcasts and infomercials on self-help. And then you come in here and it's almost counterintuitive. We tell you, no, you can't handle this yourself. But we are so given to handling things ourselves and it becomes a, a stone in our shoe. We must learn to turn to others, to turn to God and to turn to our fellow human being when things are disturbing us. If I fear something 
if I am frustrated by something, if I'm angry about something and I've thought about it two, three times, now it's time to do a, st a step 10. Now it's time to do what it says. And what are the specific instructions of step 10? It very, very strictly tells me, it says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. What step did we use to deal with selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear? And those are the only defects we're gonna utilize in step 10. When these things crop up, we ask God at once to remove them, steps six and seven. We discuss them with someone immediately, step five. It doesn't say we text it. It doesn't say we email it. It doesn't say we journal it. It says we discuss it with someone immediately, step five. And that means I'm going to have to use my telephone or my feet to get to somebody's house. And I'm going to discuss it with someone immediately because this is where the disease lives. My ability to show these emotions to the light of day will make me or break me. If I keep things secret, remember that the disease flourishes in darkness and the disease will wither and die in the light of day. And so for me, it is vital to remember that my ego needs to be leveled and I need to pick up the phone and say, I'm lonely, I'm scared, I'm angry, I'm hurting, whatever that may be, whatever that may be, we discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly, steps eight and nine, if we have harmed anybody. So, so far we have worked four, six, seven, and five, four, five, six, and seven. Then we, re and we make amends quickly, eight and nine, if we've harmed anyone. So we've worked four through nine here, haven't we? In this little couple of sentences, four through nine. Then we resolutely, resolutely means with purpose, Turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. So we're going to work step 12. So remember, we're taught errantly. We're taught by mistake that we don't do one step until we've done the other. Well, here's step 10. And it says, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. That's step 12. But we're doing it in 10. The steps are worked together. The steps are worked together. If that's not clear, I'm going to go over it one more time. When we did our ninth step, when we did our ninth step, it refers back on, I believe it's page 81, but it refers back to what we do in meditation, which is step 11. So it tells us that we we do the steps together. Here in step 10, we're doing step 12, which is ordinately ahead of 10. But that's okay. That's fine. But I want to remind you that with the help of a sponsor, we can clear up these misconceptions. Now I'm going to challenge you to do something. I'm going to challenge you to do something. If you can go one week doing a 10th step, every time you've thought about something two, three times, angry or fearful or selfish, somebody's not sticking to your script, I'm going to give you a challenge. The challenge is to call me and say, I did the step, I did it every time it was indicated, and I still ate Kit Kat bars. 
I'm going to bet a nickel against your dime that you can't do that because I know that this process works. And when you resolutely turn your thoughts to someone you can help, what that means is you don't call that person to help them and then regurgitate back what has been bothering you. You help with a pure spirit, not mentioning what has occurred to disturb you. That's already in God's hands because that's the last part of step 10 is resolutely turning our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Does that mean love and tolerance of the person that we're reaching out to? Yes, but it also means love and tolerance of the person that offended you love and tolerance of the person that you are angry at, remembering always that they too are human beings. And so for us, recovery becomes a very counterintuitive process. From the time we are children, for as far back as we can remember, I'm not just speaking for me, I see this all around me. I see it all around me. You are taught. Now you can do it. Now, if you just keep your nose to the grindstone, you can do it. You got to have discipline, young lady. You got to have discipline, young man. And you can do anything you want. And I was taught as a child that if I just loved my dad enough, I wouldn't eat the way I was eating. If I loved my mom enough, I wouldn't eat the way I was eating. And I loved my mom and I loved my dad. My mom was obviously crazy, but my mom had three different personalities and my mom had a lot of mental issues. And my dad was old and he was an immigrant and English was hard for him. I remember when my dad, sometimes my mom would be hospitalized and my dad would go to parents parents night at the school, you know, and parent open house, they would call it open house. And he would go and he would sit in the school, but he was like a wild jaguar because he couldn't smoke in there. And if he couldn't smoke, he was like a wild animal. He was, he was not happy if he couldn't smoke. So anyway, the teacher would, I wasn't there because, you know, I was a kid. I was home watching Green Acres and the Beverly Hillbillies, but he would go to the open house and the teacher would be talking and the teacher would be, and he didn't know what the hell the teacher was saying. And I got this not from one, but from two teachers. And they would say to me that at the end of it, he would walk up to the teacher and say, does he behave? And if they said yes or no, before they could answer, he'd hold up his big Russian mitt. My dad was six feet tall at a, in, a, in a generation when men were, you know, Jewish men were five, four, five, five tops. And he was six feet tall. He'd hold up his big Russian hand and he'd say, if he does not behave, he'll get this. And he just thought it was so cute. He was so funny. He didn't know what the heck they were saying in there. He had no clue, not a clue, but uh, that's what he would do. So, but anyway, we're, the reason I'm saying that is we're taught as children that we can do anything. And here we come into recovery. And the one thing that we're screaming is 
No, you can't. You need the help of other people. And you have to divorce yourself completely. You have to really abandon this thinking of, well, I don't want to bother anybody and I don't want to this and they're probably eating dinner or they're probably knitting a sweater or they're probably standing on their head or doing whatever. You've got to divorce yourself from that and you've got to make those calls because remember that that we need to get those calls. Excuse me, I've still got these allergies here that are just going crazy in my head here. I'm just fighting, trying to fight <laughs> this urge. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh God. Anyway, oh. but anyway, we're fighting this urge not to, we don't want to call them. We have to make the phone calls. If the person is that busy, it'll go to voicemail and it'll be okay. But we need to get the calls as much as you need to make the calls because we're all in this together. And by getting those calls, and sometimes they get frustrating. Sometimes I get them from people. They really don't know how the 10 step goes. They're, we need the guidance of a sponsor. We, and I'll say what character defect comes to the surface and they'll say guilt or remorse. That's not one of the defects. It's selfish, dishonest, resentment, and fear. But we need to get practiced at doing the process. And what I would suggest strongly is last time we were together, because last week we did the region eight thing, Karen and I did a demonstration of a live 10 step call. So I would suggest maybe going back and listening to that because it was a good example of how the call is actually supposed to roll out. And, and she did a really good job of, 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 of going into the role of a person that had a 10-step disturbance. And I would suggest going back and listening to that. That would be a good idea. So let's move forward now and let's take a look at the most commonly, oh, let me just let me just summarize something before I move on here. Please excuse me for that. This what I want to say to you is we are all in this together. When the fellowship was first formulated, they didn't have Zoom and they couldn't make long distance phone calls for free. They didn't have cell phones. Most of them didn't have phones. It was the height of the depression. It was the unemployment rate was through the ceiling. There was no money to be had anywhere. It was a real problem. It was a real challenge. And what these guys often did, and I'm not suggesting that you can do that today so much, but I'm just telling you, they would walk over to someone's house. And whether it was Bill Dotson, whether it was Dr. Bob, whether it was uh, Bill Wilson, whether he was in New York or Akron, or it was Fitz Mayo or Jimmy Burwell, they would come over to the house and they would, the, the, the person whose home it was, would share whatever meager resources they had. It was the height of the depression, but if someone came over and it was close to dinner or close to lunch, they would share the meager resources of their homes with the other suffering person. But they would sit down and they would talk and they'd say, I'm scared about this. I'm angry about whatever that may be. 
And so give us the same courtesy of making those phone calls because your call may be instrumental in saving our life. We're all in this together, aren't we? Very important. Don't, don't die in the food because you talk yourself into, well, it's lunchtime in China or it's, it's dinner time in, in, in Australia, so I better not make the call. Come on, you're too smart for that. And with WhatsApp, you can always find someone in a time zone that's business hours. Don't tell me that you can't. You can do that. All right, what's the most commonly asked question in a vision for you phone meetings? You know, on the second meeting every day, you not only can share, but you can ask questions and then two people will answer those questions as best they can. What's the most common question asked? The most common question asked is, what is the difference between recovered and recovering? Whether you're recovered or you're recovering, it's a process. Recovery is not a destination, it's a journey. And as a journey, that means we must keep traveling that journey and keep going. What does it say in the paragraph of step 10 that we just, just left behind? It says, it should continue for our lifetime. And I, I love telling this story and she loves it when I tell this story too. And she's a dear friend and she, she doesn't mind me using her name. As a matter of fact, she likes it. Her name is Naomi and Naomi and I are good friends. But when I did a big book study in a place called Mount Laurel, New Jersey, about eight, maybe 10 years ago or so, I don't remember, but I think it was about eight or 10 years ago. I was in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. And this lady, Naomi, came up to me just before lunch and she said, would it be all right if I called you when I'm done with the steps? And I said, no, I don't think so. And she looked at me like, wow, you just got through talking to us about how loving you are and about how this is a great program. Now you're saying I can't call you. And she's looking at me like I'm the purple people eater with three heads. And she looked at me and I says, because when you're done with the steps, you'll be dead. And as far as I know, there's no phone in the box. So no, I don't think you can call me when you're done. The steps are a process that lasts an entire lifetime. We're never done working the steps. But the most commonly asked question in, in vision is, what is the difference between recovered and recovering? Because in the big book, it talks about recovered. And you'll hear people, and I do this too, I'll say, hi, I'm Harlan G. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. What does that mean specifically? Well, we're going to answer that question today. We're going to go into the 10th step promises and if your life matches up pretty well against these promises, you're recovered. And if it doesn't, that just means that we're going to continue working toward those goals. Somebody's unmuted.
okay? So let's go to the bottom of page 84 and let's just see what we can come up with here. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity will have returned. Let's just stop right there. When you first start out, when I first started out in OA, in abstinence, I had been in complete relapse. Whether you're coming in new or you're coming off of a relapse, this is gonna be the same. You're going to struggle. It's going to be tough. You don't. You haven't had. You don't have a spiritual awakening as the result of anything, and so basically, you're just kind of dieting with group support. And as a person who's dieting with group support, it is going to be a little tough to stay out of the food and to stay out of the feelings that the lack of food will bring up. Remember that food was never the problem, but food was the solution to the problem. And if food is the solution to the problem, what's the problem? The problem is the buildup of everyday human emotions. All people have these emotions, all of us do. And without really knowing it, food became a solution to that problem. An almond joy bar will make me feel like a million dollars for about five to 10 seconds. So the girl that rejected me or the girl that dumped me or the money I don't have to afford something I want, or I'm just not quite making the grade in, in some certain area of life, an Almond Joy bar will make that just all go away for about five or six seconds. And what does Dr. Silkworth call that? He calls it the effect. And in the doctor's opinion, he talks about the effect. And what is that effect? The effect is a sense of ease and comfort that comes over me instantly when I eat certain foods. And that effect changes my perception of reality. Now see the guy that's pictured behind me, his name is Bill Wilson. For him, an Almond Joy bar probably didn't work very well. For him, it was alcohol that made everything go away. And for me, it's certain foods, particularly sugar, flour, dairy, somebody's unmuted, Maria. And those foods will instantly change my perception of reality. And my brain loves this effect. And I will search for this effect up into the gates of insanity or death. Now I'm not eating. And so these feelings are running around rampant and unchecked in my soul, in my brain, in my heart. And I'm not eating and I'm not eating and I'm, I'm hunkered down not eating. And these feelings are gonna come to the surface and it is gonna be difficult. And there is a withdrawal period. When I stop fighting this is because I've had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. And when I've had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, that means 
that God has come into my life. Is that a permanent thing? No, it is something I have to work at every single day without exception. And we're going to read the words fit spiritual condition pretty soon. And we're going to see that this is how I react as long as I keep in fit spiritual condition. And that means I'm going to have to work at it and work at it every single day. And what does it say here? For by this time, sanity will have returned. Now, what step includes the word sanity, and that is step two. And what do you hear me say a lot? The most misunderstood steps are three and four. They're so simple, so basically simple, that in our zeal to overcomplicate things, we have a tendency to make them complicated when they're not. Step three should take 30 seconds. What is step three? Step three is a decision to say a prayer. And what the prayer is basically saying is, God, rid me of my defects of character. I know how the real prayer goes. I know it by heart. But I'm paraphrasing to, to, to give people an understanding. What it's saying is this, God, I have these defects of character and they have been plaguing me all my life and they've closed me off from you. I'm offering you my life. And how do I do that? Not in step three. I do it in four through 12. I'm going to, here's what I'm doing in step three. I'm saying to God, as a vehicle of ridding me of these defects of character, I am going to agree to do steps four through 12 every day for the rest of my life. Now, does that mean I do a formal four step every day? No, but I do 10 steps and they're like little mini four steps. But every once in a while, every once in a while, when I need to, I will sit down and I will blow out another four step and I will talk to my sponsor and I'll say, tomorrow I'm doing a four step on such and such. And that means that day or the next day at the latest, we're going to be doing step five and we're going to be, now we zoom because he lives in Los Angeles. He doesn't live in Arizona and I don't live there, but he lives in Los Angeles, California. Now we can zoom and we can see each other and it makes it quite cozy. It makes it quite nice. We used to do them, do them on the phone, which is, you know, whatever, that's fine. But the word sanity come, it, it calls us back to step two. So I say three and four are the most misunderstood, but two and 10 are the most underutilized. And why do I see the word sanity there in my opinion? I'm not God, I don't know, but this is my opinion. Notice it doesn't say came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sobriety. Notice it doesn't say that I've come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to abstinence. It says came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Now, the reason, in my opinion, that it says sanity is this. You see, my life is not just about my consumption of food. My life is more complex than that. My life is a life of interwoven injuries. My wife, my wife, my life, I don't have a wife. My life is a life of interwoven difficulties. 
I have difficulties with romantic relationships. I have difficulties in getting into them. I have difficulties in letting them go. I have difficulties while I'm in them. I have difficulties with life as a ge in general. I'm 66 years old. I'm gonna be 67 here in about 15 minutes or so, seemingly. I'm gonna be 67 years old before you turn around. And I'm in the fourth quarter here. And so I look back and I see some of the mistakes I made and some of the glaring errors that I made. And sometimes I fall into self-pity and I fall into guilt and shame and remorse. And sometimes I just want to beat myself up because how, how in the world did I not know that this and this and this and this was going to occur? What was, what was I thinking? What's wrong with me? And so by putting the word sanity in there and I'm thanking God and I'm thanking the guy right behind me. He's kind of looking over my shoulder here. He wants to make sure I don't say anything stupid today. He's got that pencil in his hand and I think he's going to poke me in the back of the neck there with it if I make a mistake. So I'm going to try to be okay here. But the bottom line is, is that I need sanity. Now we hear this a lot in OA. Abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. Horse hockey. Abstinence is very, very important. Abstinence is vital. Without abstinence, we got nothing. But there's a much, much more important demonstration of these principles in our everyday affairs, in our lives, in our homes, and in our workplaces. Practice these principles means practice these steps. <sighs> in all of our affairs. And that's what that means, sanity, sanity. One of the sweetest sounds I can hear, somebody's unmuted, Maria. One of the sweetest sounds that I can hear is the sound of my own footsteps walking away from something that is harming me, that I want to hang on to. And that's one of the sweetest sounds I can hear is that sound of walking away from something that is harming me. And the food is just a bare beginning. It's a bare beginning. It's not the be all and the end all. It's a bare beginning. Let's continue. Sanity, where the disease harms lots of places in your life. Sometimes we don't even know we're hurting in a certain area or our codependency issues, love addiction issues, sex addiction issues. Sometimes we turn to shopping. Sometimes we turn to gambling. Sometimes we substitute one addiction for the other because our brain and our ego are looking for that effect. And I've seen lots of people in OA, they turn to shopping, they turn to gambling, they turn to love addiction, they turn to sex addiction, and they're different. <clears throat> but they turn to other things. So they can say, I'm not eating, but they're just using something else. And sanity quiets it down. Sanity just quiets everything down. Be still, for I am God. Be still, just keep working the steps and everything will be okay. May not be what I want. May not be what I think I want. May not be what I think I need. But if I give God time 
it'll be just the perfect solution. Walk to God, he'll run to you. Let's continue. We will seldom be interested in liquor. Let's stop right there. What is liquor to the alcoholic? What is food to me? Food is a solution to the problem. Problem of what? The buildup of human emotions. And as I work these steps, as I work these steps, what happens is I get a better and closer relationship with a power greater than myself. And as that relationship deepens, and as that relationship flourishes, I find the thoughts of food are less and less and less. You will find that too. And if it works for me, it's going to work for you provided that you've done the work necessary, not if you're just in your third day or whatever. You've got to do the work necessary. If tempted, continuing here, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. I know the devastation of what ice cream does in my life. And I recoil from it as if from a hot flame. But if I'm not in fit spiritual condition, no matter how many times I think about the humiliation of my life, no matter how many times I think of how I have been physically deformed and physically emasculated by this disease, and I have been emotionally emasculated by this disease, I have been the butt of jokes, I have been made fun of. I have had my stomach slapped by people asking me when the baby hippopotamus was due. I have had people say cruel things to me and do cruel things to me because of my weight. I will go back to the very thing that caused these problems because it's the only solution my brain can often come up with. The quick and easy fix of an Almond Joy bar, a Kit Kat bar, whatever. The easy fix is there. And my brain knows that the more I fear, the more I'm angry, the more I'm jealous, the more I regret that that food will look good. So I have to continue working these steps as if my life depends upon it, because it does. And when I'm in fit spiritual condition, and only when I'm in fit spiritual condition, <clears throat> do I recoil as if from a hot flame. Now, sometimes I will walk into the grocery store and they're baking bread or they're baking cake or they're whatever. There's lots of smells in there. They have people in the back and they're cooking up sausage or they're cooking up this or they're cooking up and they they make it smell they want it to smell they want you to go nuts so you'll buy some of this stuff okay i will get a thought in my head oh i like that i'm not responsible for my first thought but i'm responsible for my second thought and my first action and my first action is to maybe make a call my first action is to get the hell away from it and to understand that I can't do this by myself. So what do I often do? I pray. 
God, get me out of here. Let me get what I need. I need apples. I need blueberries. I'm going to buy a couple dozen eggs. I'm going to get some cauliflower. I'm going to get, I need oatmeal. I'll pick up some oatmeal. I need this, or I'm, I'm going to get some liver. Or I'm going to get some chicken to make at home, whatever it is. And I get the hell out of there. I've done my business. I'm gone. But I have to stay in fit spiritual condition. We react sanely and normally, top of 85, and we find that this has happened automatically. Sanely, that's the second reference to sanity in this step. We're referring back to the, to the bond between steps two and 10. Two calls us to the attention of the sanity. 10 keeps us in sane condition. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We're not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. This is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. What happens if I'm not doing my 10 steps and I'm letting anger fester? I'm letting my selfishness fester. I'm letting the guilt and shame and remorse because I lied or I cheated or I shortcutted or I gossiped. I'm letting that fester. What happens then? The brain will look to food as an easy out, as an easy answer, and food works every time. A Kit Kat bar will make the world go away. And it will make it go away with no effort on my part at all whatsoever. Food instantly changes my perception of reality. Now, let's just mention for the sake of being right, being fair, some people listening on the line today do not eat the way I ate, but they are still compulsive overeaters. Maybe they get a high or an effect from restricting the amount of food that they eat. Maybe they're anorexics. Maybe they get a high from eating massive quantities of food, but they are bulimic. They're regurgitation bulimics. There are exercise bulimics. And there are laxative bulimics. A bulimic gets a high from eating massive quantities of food and then purging it out through the use of laxatives or exercise or regurgitation or combinations of those three, um, those three methods. And an anorexic is a person who gets a high by restricting the amount of food they eat. So sometimes if we look at these people, they may not look like they are compulsive overeaters. I have a friend of mine and she lives in California. I have another friend of mine that would very easily fit into this um, category. 
but the one I'll just talk about the one in California. If you if you looked at this person, you would never think in a million years that this is a person that had a problem with food. She's very small. She looks normal. She looks very attractive. She looks you would never look at her and say, oh, there's a person that's got a problem with food. Yet I know her and she is a dumpster diving, back alley, garbage can, compulsive gutter, compulsive overeater. And she is as gutter as anybody on this line but you would never know it by looking at her. And there are people who have recovered and they have normal sized bodies. You'd never look at them and say, oh, well, there's a person with an eating problem. And the bottom line is, is that you don't know what's behind door number three. What's behind door number three is a history of bulimia or a history of anorexia or a history of, of pendulum swinging. We go from one extreme to the other and, and, and addicts love to do that. And compulsive overeaters are real good at that. They go from eating everything in sight. They go to eating nothing and they swing between the, and, and we can't sustain that. We just can't sustain that. So if you looked at my friend who lives in California, Northern California, and you saw her, you would see, oh my God, she's beautiful. She's, she's gorgeous. And she's very well you know, she's very nice and she's very kind and she's this and she's that. Behind that, she, as I say, she is a gutter, back alley, dumpster diving, compulsive overeater. So we come in all forms, all sizes, all kind of things. This is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Now that means every single day, every single day is a day when we must bring God's will into all of our activities. How do I do that? I don't take days off. I don't not sponsor today. I don't not take outreach calls today. I took outreach calls and I sponsored through all my surgeries. I've had both hips replaced, both knees replaced. I was taking outreach calls and I was sponsoring and being sponsored the afternoons of those surgeries. Addiction is progressive, permanent, and fatal. Your addiction is a breathing, living organism. And it feeds off your secrecy and it feeds off your complacency and it feeds off of your reluctance to call others and to get a sponsor and to do what's in front of you. And your disease wants you dead. It will settle for putting you in positions you wouldn't put your worst enemy in, but it wants you dead. It will embarrass you. It will deform you. It will isolate you. When we study about abusive relationships, we often think about the relationship of a romantic relationship. And, and we say, well, when the person's an abuser, what's the first thing that the abuser does? They isolate you from your source of help. They will isolate you. 
They will get you away from your friends and away from your family. They don't want you interacting with your friends and your family. The disease is exactly the same thing. It wants to isolate you from your support system. It does not want you going to meetings. It does not want you reaching out. It does not want you to have a sponsor. It does not want you to call on your 10-step call because you're gonna be bothering people. That's the action of the disease. Your disease is permanent, progressive, and fatal. And if your efforts at recovery are not permanent and progressive, you will die in the food much before your time. And it's what you're going to miss out on before you die. That is the real shame. Look, we're all going to die. Every one of us is going to die. Every living thing begins dying at the moment of conception. Death begins at the moment of conception. But it's, did you live? Did you live? Now, most of the adults that I knew as a child were people who survived the Holocaust. Not all of them, but most of them. And they would grab my face like this and they would say, live until you die. Live until you die. This is the season of freedom. This is the season of rebirth. This is the season of redemption. This is the season of resurrection. This is the season of emancipation from slavery. For hundreds of years, we were slaves. How many of us are signing up to be slaves today? How many of us are saying, I voluntarily give up my freedom? Almond Joys, Kit Kat, Oreo, you take over my life. We are reluctant to turn our will and life over to God, but we're not reluctant to turn our will and our life over to an Oreo cookie. And that Oreo cookie is incapable of doing anything for me except maybe give me seven seconds of freedom from the feelings. And it sucks, it's not a life. So what are we being called upon to do here? We're being called upon in this season of emancipation and freedom and, and redemption and resurrection. We're being called upon to follow the path of those before us, like the guy behind me, and we're being asked to take actions which are counterintuitive to what we were taught as children and to reach out and say to ourselves, I can't do this alone. Without help, it is too much for me. That one is God. May you find him now. How do I find God? Is it a little confusing as to how to find God? I'll tell you how I, damn it. Oh, my timing was perfect until this. All right, anyway, how do I find God? If I'm confused about how to find God, here's what I can do. I start the process 
by reaching out for my fellow human being. I'm not crying. I'm just tearing up here. I'm not crying. Trust me. Oh, oh sorry. I'm not crying. Um, but anyway, uh, all right. I start the process of finding God by finding my fellow human being. Hi, Karen. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Susie. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mo. Hey, Larry. Hey, Curly. I'm hurting here. Can you help me? That's how finding God begins. Are you confused? I'm going to say that again. Are you confused as to how to find God? The first step for me in finding God is reaching out to my fellow human being and wherever two or more are gathered. Let's continue. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. You keep calling those same three people a day and you keep doing those same 10 steps and you keep doing that same thing every day. Don't increase your effort at recovery. You'll die in the food because your disease is not staying still. Your disease is a living, breathing organism and your disease is getting worse and worse and worse every single day. Every single day that you are lucky enough to get up and be alive, your disease got worse. You got older, things are changing, and your disease got worse. And that's what it's all about, Charlie Brown. You want to challenge this disease? You ain't going to win. It's easy to rest on our laurels. And I was a laurel rester. And I went to the same meetings and did the same thing. And I ended up in the food. You've got to do more and you've got to dig deeper, but you've got to put your mask on first. What does it say on the plane? Put your mask on first. Don't be grabbing for a million people to sponsor and don't be grabbing for all kinds of service positions before you yourself are taken care of because what this does too much of the time is it creates resentments. It creates an overwhelmed feeling. You must be in recovery. And then when you're in recovery, grab for some gusto, but don't grab it all. Let other people get involved. And I've seen this a million times. They, there are people, Harlan G was one of those people. I was the vice president of the North, the North Chicago uh, er, uh, inner group. And I was sponsoring half the room and I was doing this and I ended up back in the food. There's, there's a balance that, that overeaters and addicts have a trouble finding. There's a difference between not doing anything and doing everything. There is middle ground. Look for gray. Don't look for white. Don't look for black. Look for gray. Right in the middle. Look for gray. If you're too black or you're too white, trouble. Gray. Gray. The combination of the black and the white is gray. Look for middle ground. We are headed for trouble if we do for alcohol is a subtle foe. How is alcohol a subtle foe? It's a subtle foe because of the buildup of emotions that we lack power. Lack of power is our dilemma. 
I don't have the power of God. I don't have the power to deal with the fact that I'm alone and I wake up every day alone and I go to sleep every day alone and, 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 and all these other various things. Well, God does. And somehow I make it. Alcohol is a subtle foe because emotions are a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. You could be recovered, but you can't be cured. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. See how important that is? What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And we maintain, but we're not maintaining, we're growing. We're getting more recovered, more recovered. And that's the only way to go. Every day, every day, not some days, not Sundays off. I don't want to hear it. You know, I don't want to hear, well, it was my birthday. Well, it, your disease doesn't take days off. Every day is a day. Do you notice the, the, you notice the theme here? Continue for our lifetime every day. Do you notice the theme here? Every day is a day when we must carry the God, vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. That's the 10 step prayer. And I say that prayer to us. I say that prayer like a million times a day. How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. That's God. If we have carefully followed directions, not suggestions, directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit, capitalized, he's talking about God, into us, to some extent, we have become God conscious. How could you not become God conscious when you're making and taking 10 step calls and you're doing step 11 and you're doing step 12? God is all around you. How do you find God? How do you start? A lot of people are so confused as to how to start. They don't know how to find this God. Start by reaching out to your fellow suffering human being, because when God can't come, he sends people. And in the faces of God's children, you will find him. Pray for willingness. Pray for direction on how to find him and then call another one of his children. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further and that means more action. This is not a program for people who need it. It is not a program for people who want it. It is a program for people who do it. Once again, in closing, because we've only got about five minutes left before Q&A, your disease is a growing, thriving, living orgasm, organism, organism, organism. I didn't mean to say orgasm. I don't know where that came from. It's a thriving orgasm, organism, organism. It's a, it's a being, it's alive, it's a thing. It's, it's, it's a being, it's alive, it's an organ will propagate and thrive 
in darkness. If you go to the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club, and I haven't been there in over a year and I'm on the board, I should get back there now. There is a group called the Mushroom Group. And the Mushroom Group meets at night and they're alcoholics. And the reason that they call themselves the Mushroom Group is because mushrooms thrive in darkness. Mushrooms thrive in darkness. And so does this disease. What keeps this disease in darkness? The reluctance that we have to reach out to other people. The reluctance that we have, the fears that we tell ourselves. Funny how you weren't afraid that the guy at Dunkin' Donuts was on his break, but you didn't care. You wanted your donuts right now. That waitress was trying to call her child to see that if they had done their homework, but you wanted more coffee right now. Where is that witch waitress? You didn't care that she was checking on her sick mother. You didn't care that she was checking on her sick father. You wanted service right now. But when it comes to this, all of a sudden, we are so aware of where everybody else is and we wonder why we eat and die in the disease. We are all big boys and girls. If you call me at a time that I cannot speak, I will let the call go to voicemail and I will call you back at my earliest convenience. I know how to let the call go to voicemail. I know how to decline the call, but I will call you back. There's 125 of you here. There's not one of you can say, I called him and he didn't call me back. I don't let that happen. May, may take me, uh, you know, I have a job, I, have a, I work, I work for myself. I have a business. I have other obligations. I have people that I sponsor, people, whatever. I have things I need to do, things I need to take care of, but I will call you back. And all of a sudden, we're just thinking and thinking and thinking. Not everybody eats lunch at the same time. Not everybody eats dinner at the same time. Not everybody goes to sleep at the same time. <laughs> and with the cell phones that we all have in our pockets or purses, we can call up the entire world. And there's always somebody in some time zone that you will be comfortable if you look for it if you look for it, but you have to give it a chance. You have to get on that phone and you have to dial it. And I know that these phones, when, when there's a 10 step to be called or there's something, whatever, these phones can weigh 60,000 pounds. I can't lift it up. But the bottom line is, if you're looking as to how to find God, the quest for God for me begins with reaching out and connecting with another human being, that these are children of God, and that when I'm talking to another person, wherever two or more are gathered, and when I'm talking to that person, all of a sudden, I feel the presence of the recovery of God. Don't allow yourself to live in that kind of fear don't allow yourself, take action, take action. Willingness is highly overrated. Take the action and the willingness will come. 
pray for willingness and chances are you're going to be in trouble, except for step six. Pray for willingness and that's fine. But after you're done praying, take action. Okay. Now, next week, we're going to meet and we're going to be doing step 11. We're going to start at the bottom of page 85 with step 11. Okay. Now, 